HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything-cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And uh, before we get started today, I have a few announcements. Um, Over at uh, our restaurant in the east side, uh, La Picho, we do have a really exciting event coming up on June 1st. It's the La Picho Pig Out. Uh, We're partnering up with Pat LaFreda and uh, we're going to have uh, a whole pig. And if you, uh, if you come, we just released a few VIP tickets. You can watch Pat LaFreda and Chef Gabe Thompson do a pig butchering demo. Um, and that is for the VIP ticket. And there, we just released a few of those for, for the, the regular tickets. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be tons of, uh, of booze, of uh, victory beer, um, roast pig all night. Uh, get your tickets at lapichapigout.eventbrite.com. That's June first. Um, and at Enfora, we're doing a little class on uh, on rosé on June seventh, uh, Saturday, June seventh at three thirty. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you'll learn about rosé styles, rosés from from all over the world. Um, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a really good time. That's Enfora Beverage Series. Hope to see you guys there. It's going to be a good time. Um, all right. So I'm excited about our, our show today. Uh, we have uh, Steve Clifton of Brewer Clifton and Palmina Wineries on the show. Uh, we, we love these wines. We have them, uh, uh, several labels from, from both uh, at, at La Picho. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited. It's actually first time that I'm getting to meet you. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. You know, we just started doing uh, a segment on this show, which is the best wine I drank uh, all week. Uh, this is uh, something new. Um, so I'll get started. I'll give you a moment to think. Uh, the best wine I had last week um, was actually last night I went to Charlie Bird Restaurant, a restaurant with a great wine list, um, and had a ton of great wine, including some Bartolo Mascarello Barolo, which is one of my favorite wines, as you guys probably know if you've listened to any of the other shows. But uh, what was really exciting for me was the Selva Piana 
Butcher Chianti 1994. Um, I, I just love really well aged Chianti, and this was like singing. Like it, uh, it was it was really pretty. It was uh, de- it, there had been some development and and right. like nice dusty earthiness, but but really like vibrant and floral and pretty and and I loved this wine. I I've loved uh, Silva Piana for a long time and and those those wines age really 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 well. And you know, I, it, it's interesting cuz I think um Sangiovese and Nebbiolo, you know, uh, very different grapes but they they uh, they share that that great acidity that just holds them up and when when they're they're aged and they go into that like secondary sort of phase it, amazing things can happen. Yeah, and what was the best wine you had last week? <laughs> last, <laughs> last week I was in uh, Austin, Texas, and I did a um, uh, about a twelve-year retrospective comparative tasting with uh, Giovanni Elia from Pitine. And so we drank Barbaresco's back to two thousand one, and and Nebbiolo's from uh, from Palmina, and so we we matched vintages. But the um, the Via Vin uh, two thousand one Barbaresco from Pitine was was my wine of the week last week for sure. You know, until last night, my wine of the week was nineteen ninety five Pitine, which I had right Sunday on. night. We grilled out and. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. The 2001 yeah. Pitine. Fantastic. And, you know, your Nebbiolo, you know, I, I always tell uh, people when I talk about Nebbiolo, if we do Nebbiolo classes or anything, you know, Nebbiolo is the greatest grape in the world that only grows well in its one place. Like you see Pinot Noir and Syrah and, Syrah and Chardonnay, and there's so many great expressions from, right. from all over the world. But Nebbiolo is so specifically. But then I always put an asterisk that there's <laughs> someone in California who is making fantastic nebbiolo and thank i thank you for you, that asterisk I, I really appreciate that it's it's really really delicious so okay so you've been in the industry um started in the wine industry in the early 90s right 91 uh, in 91 yeah. and well i was buying wine before that but yeah i started in product production in 91 yeah and you know there's been so many new wineries that have come out lately i think that california is seeing uh a lot of love uh for these sure. days how have you seen that industry change over your time there because this year not not necessarily the old guard but not like the the brand new i'm the middle guy you know (laughs) i'm like the middle child sort of thing (laughs) but uh no it's been it's it's interesting in 91 when i moved to santa barbara there were 24 wineries and there's just over 360 now so you know it's been an explosion it's been um it's been such a radical, you know, two decades of, of just immense change. And, and um, you know, used to when we'd get together as an, an association, we'd all fit in, you know, a closet. <laughs> now it, it takes a haul to, to fit all the people that are, you know, representing all the wineries and stuff. So it, it, it's pretty radical. And um, but for me, um, you know, there were the guys that I looked up to. There were the Bruno D'Alfonso's and, and Rick Longoria's and Jim Clendenin and, and on and on and on. Adam Tolmach and, and that I still look up to. And, and I, I appreciate all the, um, the kind of foundation that they laid. And I equally appreciate um, just all the, um, all the people that have come in the last few years and, uh, and just brought a new energy, a new excitement to, to the area and, and to the to the industry. So. Yeah, and one of the uh, things that I think has been a, a big change, at least in the perception, is that now people are much more interested in the terroir of California. And, and you were uh, pretty avant-garde with, with your single vineyard site, right. um, Chardonnay's and, and Pinot Noir under the Brewer Clifton label. Uh, and now with the, with the Palmino winery, you see these Italian uh, varietals as well. How do you feel that Italian grapes 
express terroir versus the way that Chardonnay and Pinot Noir do in uh, in your area. Yeah, that's interesting. When we started um, Brewer Clifton in 96, um, really the majority of the wines that were coming out of Santa Barbara were Santa Barbara County. They were, they were blends of, of different vineyards. Um, and I was, you know, making wine for other people and they didn't want to market six different wines. They wanted to market one wine and blend it all together. Mm -hmm. So when Greg and I started it, it was really just to show those, um, individual characteristics that, that the site specificity of, of, of places. And, um, and I think that Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are perfect vehicles for, for showing that, um, with Italian varietals, I think it's even more, um, it's been even more interesting for me, especially with Nebbiolo. I mean, just because that's a passion, but, um, but I don't think that Italian varietals lend themselves well to anything that masks. I don't think they lend themselves well to, to new Oak. I don't think that they lend themselves to over extraction. The, the conduit that really makes Italian varietals work is that acidity that we were talking about before with the Silvapiana and, the, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and different Paroli and stuff. But, um, and you've, you've got to be able to deliver that acidity as purely and as, as precisely as possible, you know? And, and I think that anything that you do to try to, um, to mask that or to, to override that, like both with, um, extraction or with, um, with oak flavors, it, it, it takes away from it. So, you know, I love lining up the four different, um, single vineyard Nebbiolos that we do, and they're all handled in a, in a almost exact static fashion, but they taste completely different. And it's, it's solely because of clonal material and soil type. That's, uh, that's very interesting. So, uh, the, with the with the Palmina label, um, can you tell us a little bit about how it got started? This is the winery that uh, that I guess really got my interest, perked cool. my interest. I, I came to to know you guys more through uh, Palmina, and then fell in love with with the Brewer Clifton, right uh, which I think for a lot of people is the other way. But come, because, since I'm such an you know I a love a Italophile, I was I was hesitant to say it, but our you know we have uh, the Italian restaurants, and it was really exciting to me. Um, and I, there's a, a category. Can you tell me how you feel about this term, Calatau? Uh, I knew it would kind of cringe your... <laughs> oh, let me get the shivers out of my All back right. really quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I started Palmina in 1995. So it's, it's just a little bit older than Brewer Clifton. And, um, and Brewer Clifton definitely, uh, became a lot more, it's a lot easier to uh, get people to try Chardonnay and Pinot Noir than it is to get them to try Dolcetto or Malvasia Bianca or Nebbiolo from California. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, when I started Palmina, it was because I saw a, a um, climate and a soil similarity with Northern Italy. What, what, my first trip outside of the States was to visit my sister. She had just moved to Milan and, and, um, and I thought I was doing this, you know, real altruistic thing going to visit her because she was she was upset that you know she had just moved to this new place she didn't speak the language the family was all she thought talking about her and this sort of thing and i i went to go visit her and and um kind of comfort her and and i it ended up changing my life completely because i i just saw a completely different perspective on dining and and um conversation and wine's place in the world mm -hmm. you know and so when i came back i was just focused on, on Italian varietals and Italian food and what have you. So when I moved to Santa Barbara, 
what I'd noticed when I was in Northern Italy is that there is this huge cooling factor that comes down from the, from the mm. Alps and creates all the climate. There's this huge warming factor that comes up from the Mediterranean through the you know, Adriatic and the Tyrrhenian Sea. And, and those two forces battle each other. When I came to Santa Barbara, I saw the exact same thing, but opposite. The, the cooling factor is the Alaskan current that comes into our, our, um, our east-west facing ranges, and the warming element is the central desert. And so those things battle in the same way that, that those factors battle in northern Italy. And so naively, you know, I saw this situation that I thought was perfect, and you know, everybody's making Syrah, or they're making Pinot Noir, or they're making Cabernet, or whatever they were making, and they're, they're all from France, right? So what's the big deal if we plant some things from Italy? But I, I didn't realize at that point how much resistance there would be, and it was pretty extreme. When, how did this resistance take form? Was it from buyers? Was it from the other growers? Well, I remember. And where did you get these the the clippings? Or is it nursery stuff or it's yeah, suitcase? I, I ended up I ended up bringing over um, clonal material that had never been planted in California, and I brought it from Rochedo. It's a there's a town in northern Friuli. It's in northeastern Italy. The entire town is 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 a nursery for Vitis vinifera. It's the largest nursery for Vitis vinifera in the world, and they they claim to have every single like clon, clonal material for Vitis vinifera possible. And they, they not only have all the clonal material, but it's on every different rootstock known. And so you can go there and you can choose from this huge selection. They micro-vinify every single clonal material on every different rootstock. And you can choose your combinations and try little half bottles of it. It's, it, it's incredible. It's and amazing. We ran, um, ran all the material through uh, UC Davis or through... Um, another university on the East coast to try to hedge our bet on how long it was going to take for quarantine to, mm -hmm. to finish. We were finally able to get the first, um, first clonal material through in 98 and then another big batch in 2002 and started planting things then. And, uh, and the winery, uh, inspired by your, your friend, Paula. Paula. Yeah. My Nona Paula. And, uh, you know, I, a really close family friend and my grandmother for all intent and purposes, just not by blood. And, and, um, when I moved to Santa Barbara, she gave me uh, somewhere to stay and, and, uh, and really just taught me more about the, uh, the ideal, ideology of, um, of Italian culture and, and what role food and wine and life and love and conversation all you know, play together. It seems like when people try to sell the idea of California culture, it's, it's very much based on on the Italian culture is sure. similar. It's yeah. carefree, sunshine, wine, good yeah. times. Yeah. You they know, do it a little better in Italy. though. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I think so too. And, um, you know, but, but all the things are available the, that make, you know, that lifestyle possible mm -hmm. in California or, or anywhere for that matter here for sure. And, um, it's just a matter of embracing that instead of something else, you know, and, and uh, so Palmina is a, a completely natural winery in, in your in your own words, right? Totally, no, exactly. totally natural. Yeah. Um, and uh, something that I'm very interested in, uh, obviously, natural is, is great for for the body, great for the environment. Right. Um, at the winery, you have a couple of wines on tap. Uh, Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, Vino Bianco and Rosso Raro. We've got um, Bianco Unico and, Bianco and Rosso Unico. Raro. And then we also um, we also uh, keg up 
Arneas and Dolcetto and some Sangiovese. So those are all available uh, on tap. And, and, you know, at first the idea was, you know, having worked in restaurants for years and years and years, there's always a dumpster in the back, you know, of the restaurant. And, mm-hmm. and at least if not every night, every other night or once a week, there's a huge dumpster full of glass that, you know, just is just wasted, you know? And, and, and what people don't realize is that, um, that wine bottles are made from recycled material and they're not completely recyclable. So it's, it's a, it's a difficult prospect to think of all that, you know, being just dumped. It's insane. I've, I've read that the environmental impact of, uh, of the agriculture and the winemaking is actually not as great as actually the use of all of the wine bottles. Yeah, themselves. That's exactly right. It's insane. Yeah. So I started out putting uh, putting wine in metal kegs and then I, I got really frustrated with the thought of, you know, me filling them up and sending them across, you know, to New York or to Hawaii or somewhere. And then I had to return them. You know, I had to bring them back and just the carbon footprint of, of it going back and forth. So I was really fortunate. I found a, um, a disposable, recyclable keg that's made in the Czech, um, in the Czech Republic. And um, it... Uh, it allows for a regular Sankey, you know, fitting like mm-hmm. a regular beer tap fitting. Um, but I fill it up, I send it, and then it's completely recyclable. A hundred percent recyclable. All the pieces are. Wow. Yeah. So I can send them to Hawaii or New York or you know, wherever it might be, and and um, and feel. What's and what it's made out of? It, it's uh it's the the product is PET, so it's um it's the same as like a like a large Pepsi bottle or something. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a uh, great plastic. Yeah. But, but BPA free and, and all that. So. Oh, that's fantastic. So you just yeah. throw it out. Um, will you send any of these to New York? Absolutely. They're here now. Oh, they're here fact. now. Yeah. Any restaurants around town that are pouring them? Well, I, I'm staying at the Ace Hotel and it's a fantastic yeah. place. And they're serving both the Bianco Unico and the Rosso Raro on tap. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. drink some Bianco Unico and Rosso Raro at the Ace Hotel. Right. Um, all right, and let's uh, let's talk about how your ideas of uh, natural wine play into the into the vineyard. Yeah. Um, have you always made wine this way? Uh, have you? Has there had there been a eureka moment? And what? How does it actually play out with your vineyard practices? You know, it's it's interesting when when I started Palmina and Brewer Clifton, um, it was on a shoestring, and you know, I started out making a couple of hundred cases of wine, and and. Um, really not knowing like, you know, how I was going to buy more bottles or corks or, you know, barrels or anything else the next year. And, and it's, it's slowly evolved and you know, we're making more and more wine now. And, and, um, in 2005 started a farming company, um, because I had, I had sourced all the fruit in, in the past and, and, um, and I had gotten people to plant grapes on their property that I could use for Palmina. And it was finally time to make the, the next step and to plant our own vineyards and, and all that and to farm everything ourselves. And the deeper I've gotten, gotten into the farming, I'd always had this, this uh, theory that, you know, if there's something wrong in the cellar, then it needs to be corrected. But you really need to correct it in the vineyard so you never have to do that again. And so I got deeper into that sort of theory and, and philosophy and, and started kind of just throwing away all the information I'd been given, you know, as I kind of grew up in, in making wine, that, you know, vineyards have to be stressed. And, and you know, it, like if a vine has too much health or vigor that, the you know, it's not going to create the best wine. And, um, and I figured out over time that that was just marketing, you know, and it was marketing from places that, that have a lot more, um, 
sort of maladies than we do in Santa Barbara, you know, where you're, you're worried about hail or rain or, you know, all the different things that, that, that could affect the vineyard. We don't have a lot of those things. So I started really experimenting with producing the healthiest grapes possible, having healthy vines and producing healthy grapes and those healthy grapes make healthy wine. And, and it's literally, it's more of an energetic sort of mm-hmm. feeling than anything else. And when the grapes come in from a really healthy source and, um, you, you can, you can set them side by side with other grapes and you can literally see and feel the difference in the grapes. It's, it's amazing. I really like this holistic approach where you're not, you're not treating a symptom, but you're creating something that is, that is healthy. A healthy person gets sick less often yep. and you need to take less medicine. That's exactly so it's not the, like applying medicine every time you, you get sick. Uh, that's exactly the theory and, and, and how we look at, at farming the grapes that we, that we uh, grow ourselves. It's, it's, um, you know, natural order, um, it eliminates things that are sick. You know, it, it eliminates things that, that are, um, um, that have malady, you know? And so if you can create a situation where the, the plant has everything that it needs and is, is as healthy as it can be, then that's quite obviously going to be the selection that, that survives. Yeah. And, and it shows in the wines, the wines are, are, energetic they're bright they're they're just a joy to drink um and now we're going to take just a quick break and we'll be back with more steve clifton here on in the drink Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In The Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. We're back on uh, In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with Steve Clifton. Um, Steve, so something that we've uh, we've talked about in the past, I'm very interested in, is this idea of natural wine being actually more healthy for the body. Right. Um, how are you able to prove this at all, uh, or is this just a a a feeling? Uh, a, 
that all right well if it's made naturally then it probably is is better for us right now it's it's um just a little bit more than a feeling um i do have some some researchers that have have just started trying to be able to quantify the nutritional benefits of of healthier grapes mm-hmm. and so right now what we're doing is is um evaluating all of the soil needs um in our vineyards and and you know we work a lot with um there are minerals that that provide um, nutrition, and there are other mi- minerals or um, uh, yeah, basically minerals that are catalysts that that allow for those other minerals to be taken up into the vine. So you know, like if you need calcium, you also need magnesium so that the plant can utilize the calcium. And so we're trying to balance all those different, both nutritional minerals and the catalyst minerals so that the plant can, can receive. It's the same thing in, in human bodies, right? Exactly. Where if there's research that, you know, that, that vitamin C is, uh, is healthy for these certain reasons and people start taking all these vitamin C pills, what they don't realize is that it works together with, other compounds That's in the exactly foods that right. have the vitamin C that, that deliver uh, it to you. And you know, within farming, it's the exact same thing. You can use a bunch of chemical fertilizers and all the, you know, the sort of um, inorganics, if you will. But when you eat food, like if you need the vitamin C, an orange is going to give you the vitamin C and the other things that allow you to utilize it, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, we're trying to apply that same approach to farming and, and using complete, like, natural cover crops to enhance our nitrogen or potassium or, or whatever it might need to be. And then we're using um, fish emulsions and, and different things to, to, to bring in the catalyst that we need for the plant to be able to utilize all the things that we're, we're supplying to the soil. And so how do you feel about putting nutrition facts uh, and ingredient lists as uh, on, on the back of wine labels. Do you think that this is something that should be mandatory? Well, I'm somebody that, that completely embraces it, and there's a lot of people that are completely against it. And, and I would love to see all those things quantified. There's also something that people really don't talk about and, um, and is really important to me is it's great to do you know organic farming, and, and I, I completely embrace that. Biodynamics really help people remember to be close to their soil and close to the place that they're, they're working with. But what people don't talk about is the arsenal of, of different chemicals that are available to a winemaker when making wine. And, and, and there's an awful lot of people that follow all the organics and the biodynamics in the vineyard, but then use really, really dangerous chemicals within the, the process of, of producing wine. And um, they're things that I wouldn't feed to my children <laughs> under any circumstances, and I don't want them to be in in the wine that I drink either. So, right. And so you see on the back of a wine label, it has to say contained sulfites, which right. is pretty harmless. Um, Completely. Unless you're like you're ingesting a huge amount of it. But if you you know if you eat dried fruit, you're you're consuming way more Hundreds. sulfites than yeah. you are in, in a glass of wine. And it doesn't have to wine. be on that. You know? It doesn't have to be on that. So it's just like unnecessary scare tactic with sulfites. Yeah. But all of these other slew of, of scary, gross, dangerous yeah, things they, that you're allowed to add. Like, it's just so ridiculous to me that I, I agree with you that that, that you, people don't need to disclose that. There's a, there's a product called Velcrin that you have to have a state license to be able to use. And you have to wear like a hazmat suit when you're, when you're you know, utilizing it in, in wine. And um, it's one of the most dangerous compounds that I could imagine, you know, like even being in the room with, much less ingesting, you know, but, but people, um, regularly use it and, and, um, 
and justify it by saying that it metabolizes out, you know, during the, during the process. But why, why would you put that in your body? You know, it, it kills all living matter in the wine and that's why they use it. So oh. they don't have to filter. So anything that kills anything biologically alive, why would you put that in your all right, body? So all organic, non-filtered. <laughs> Sorry if this this causes some sort of you know heated debate with any of my colleagues, but um, you know the the wines from Palmina have literally nothing in them that didn't come from the vineyard except trace amounts of SO two just to you know for them not to turn brown. Yeah, and so you uh, if you were if you were to research. The YouTube machine. You can find some yeah. <laughs> videos of Steve uh, singing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> With your band. Uh, yeah. You guys still perform? Yeah, we play usually like five or six times a month. Yeah. And um, we play at all the wine festivals, like the, the um, Harvest Festival and the Vintners Festival. And we play uh, a whole, like string of dive bars, you know, from yeah. Lompoc to, to Solving to Santa Barbara. And, you guys are, are really good. Mo- Thank you. Mojo. Mojo. Yeah. All right. Definitely check them out. Well, you know, I have a, a friend who uh, is a winemaker down in Campania who, who plays music to his wines as, the, as they age. Yeah. Uh, Bruno de Conchiles, he, he, he really feels like it has an effect on uh, keeping the wines calm and, and peaceful and relaxed. Have you ever tried this? At Brewer Clifton literally if if myself or greg is in the building there's trance playing constantly <laughs> and i was a uh, um uh, i managed nightclubs in in southern california before going into into wine so um i have a real soft spot for things like uh house trance you know that sort of thing so um and so brewer clifton is raised on on this constant sort of throbbing beat of mm-hmm. trance and and at palmina there's an awful lot of black keys going on so, all right that's yeah. good to hear and so now at palmina you have some pretty interesting uh grapes not just nebbiolo but right. arnais uh friulano have you tried to bring over any grapes and then you just weren't happy with the results and are there any grapes that, that you're like oh i'd love that i'd love to try it but it's been too hard or you haven't had the chance to get around to it yet i you know when I started Palmina, it was going to be one wine, and it was just a, a Sangiovese Merlot blend. It really, Sangiovese was the only thing that was available to me in, in 95. And, um, and now Palmina has 23 different bottlings, and we make Pinot Grigio, uh, Tokai Friulano, Malvasia Bianca, um, Vermentino, Lagrine, Dolcetto, Barbera, mm. Nebbiolo, <laughs> Sangiovese, um, and... Uh, I still want to make Rabola Gialla, and uh, that's the one grape that that I, I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, I I love Rabola Gialla. I talk yeah. to a lot of winemakers up in Friuli too, and yeah. there some of them are much more proud even of Rabola Gialla as being like their oh for sure that's their grape exactly. Oh, my my wife and I were married in Udine in uh, in Friuli and and um, at La Subida, right? Exactly. We yeah. had uh, we had a great dinner at uh, I've had a couple of dinners at La Subida. I absolutely love it. But we brought the the team from La Subida over to La Picho. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, we had Mitya, Michele, the chef. The chef they took over the kitchen, and we did a La Subida. They La came Picho to dinner. visit me in California after that. Before they they went to um, to Boulder to see Bobby Stuckey, and so they they all came to Palmina and we spent a day and and it was fantastic that's awesome yeah and so how did you find how did you find la subida oh let's see um well 
I was I was helping a friend uh, with a winery project in in Friuli and was I was going over about six times a year for about three years and and just became really close with a lot of people there. Walter Scarbolo and his family are are really really dear close friends. Um, Joe Bastianich and I have have been close friends for a really long time and and through them I met so many other people in Friuli and um, and it just seemed like a natural place. My my wife went to University of Bologna and so has tons of friends in in kind of northeastern Italy anyway and so it seemed like the place that was really going to you know work for us and and um to be honest with you Walter Scarbolo introduced us to to La Subita and um Yasko and the and the whole Cirque family and 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 all that and and uh it's just one of the most magical places I've ever been in my life it, and I have to say that you know it, the meals there are in my top three in, in a lifetime. You yeah. Know? I was, I was lucky enough to go with, with Bob, Bobby Stucky introduced me cool. to La Subida and I agree. It's, it's memorable. I want, I want to bring everyone I care about there. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like this emotional, it's so beautiful. I, I, I really love it. Uh, we were married, you know, in Udine at, at, you know, the, in, I remember they said, well, you're going to have to do it at a, at a municipal building. And I'm thinking about linoleum floors and, you know, fluorescent lights. But the municipal building there was built in the 1500s by the Venetians. And it was, it was really beautiful. Then we, we go to um, La Subida and, and we had an 11-course lunch. And, uh, and Walter Scarbolo and Joe Bastianich, they, they surprised us by making a white blend and a red blend for our, you know, for our meal. We thought we were just going to pull wines off the list but they made these special wines just for it everybody except my wife and i then kind of in in different uh, in different groups went off and took a nap you know because they've had this like 11 course lunch three hours later we started a 13 course dinner so we started at 11 o'clock eating at la subida and we finished at two o'clock in the morning and it was the most magical day that i've ever experienced it was phenomenal wow it was such a magical if you guys ever decide to do a second marriage uh i'd love to (laughs) it sounds like a blast this is our 10-year anniversary and so we've been thinking about doing a a reunion but um sergio esposito um from italian wine merchants he wrote a book called passion on the vine and um chapter eight is my wedding (laughs) so it's been recorded for a time in memorial all right, we're running. Uh, we're running out of time. I want to do a very, very quick, uh, quick fire. Just uh, three quick yeah. questions. Cool. Um, uh, what would you pair with uh, fish tacos? I figure that's very Californian. Fr- yeah. uh, grilled or fried? Um, yeah, I'm a Baja guy, so um, I'd have to go with fried, and it'd be Malvasia Bianca. And who has a better palate between you and your wife? Oh, my wife for sure. <laughs> And here's this is a little uh, food slash uh, uh, music double entendre. Do cool. you prefer cream or humble pie? <laughs> I'm a cream guy for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Thank you so much. It's been Steve Clifton on In the Drink. Um, and thanks to you guys for listening. We hope to see you at the Pat Lafreda Pig Out at La Picho on June 1st and uh, the Rosé Wine Series class at Amphora on the 7th. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.